Glad to have you with us this morning, and I know you have your Bible with you, or there's one close by if you need one. But we will be in the Gospel of Mark chapter 4 again today, uh, after three messages on the parable of the soils. We are going to move forward to the next section of the Gospel of Mark. This uh, section of Mark's Gospel, chapter 4, verses 21 to 34, uh, this, this section of his Gospel, at the, just a first casual reading, uh, seems to be or appears to be several short, unconnected parables. But remember that God, the Holy Spirit, directed the Bible writers, as the Apostle Peter wrote, that holy men of God spoke as they were moved or carried along by the Holy Spirit. So there is nothing random about the guidance of the Holy Spirit. And in His providence, God always has purpose and direction. And I want you to, uh, to note uh, in verse 21 and 24, it says, Also He said to them, So Jesus, I believe, is just continuing to speak to his disciples with these four short parables that follow up the parable of the soils. It may have even been the very same day that he gave the parable of the soils, but he is continuing on to speak to them, and he shares several thoughts with them that we will look at uh, in these next few minutes. So I know you have your place there, Gospel of Mark chapter 4. I'm going to begin to read in verse 21. And we're going to read up to, uh, up to verse, or through verse 34. And he said to them, Is a lamp brought to be put under a basket or under a bed? Is it not to be set on a lampstand? For there is nothing hidden which will not be revealed, nor has anything been kept secret but that it should come to light. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. And he said to them, Take heed what you hear. With the same measure you use, it will be measured to you. And to you who hear, more will be given. For whoever has, to him more will be given. But whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken away from him. And he said that the kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground, and should sleep by night and rise by day, and the seed should sprout and grow. He himself does not know how. For the earth yields crops by itself, first the blade, then the head, after that the full grain in the head. But when the grain ripens, immediately he puts in the sickle, because the harvest has come. Then he said, To what shall we liken the kingdom of God? Or with what parable shall we picture it? It is like a mustard seed, which when it is sown on the ground, is smaller than all the seeds of the earth. But when it's sown, it grows up and becomes greater than all herbs and shoots out large branches so that the birds of the air may nest under its shade. And with many such parables, he spoke the word to them as they were able to hear it. But without a parable, he did not speak to them. And when they were alone, he explained all things to his disciples. In these verses, I believe Jesus is moving forward with what I am convinced is a continuation of his teaching in the parable of the soils. If you were with us for some of those studies, you will remember that Jesus had distinguished four kinds of soil. Three of them produce nothing in the long run. The wayside soil, we said, represents a calloused heart. 
hard and totally unresponsive to the gospel message. The rocky soil represents a shallow heart, all excited about the message of Jesus until things get a little rough in life. A little persecution, a little hardship, a little harassment over this Jesus issue, a few losses or heartbreaks in life, and they are gone, never to return. The thorn-infested soil represents a divided heart, a double-minded heart. This is the person who wants salvation. They want Christ. They want the kingdom of God. They want forgiveness. They want heaven. But they also want the things of the world. They want riches. They want all the pleasures of the world and all the things of the world. This person wants to serve God and money, which, of course, Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount is impossible to do. The cares of the world, the deceitfulness of riches, and the desire for other things choke out the seed of the word, Jesus says, and this supposed follower of Jesus ends up amounting to nothing for the Lord. They have what I have called the Demas Syndrome. Uh, The Apostle Paul told Timothy there in 2 Timothy, Demas has forsaken me, having loved this present world. Now, I did not mention it in our last study for the sake of time, but there is some disagreement among Bible students as to whether this person, the thorny ground person, whether that person actually knows the Lord or not. Some will say that this person is a born-again person who has gotten sidetracked or drifted away from their initial commitment. They may use the old-fashioned term backslide to describe them and say that the cares of the world have gotten to them, the stresses of their job, the struggles of life have worn them down, they have drifted away from the Lord, they've grown cold in their commitment, and they've become unstable in their walk with the Lord. And to support that, they point to the last phrase in verse 19 that says they become unfruitful, indicating that they may have produced fruit at one time before the cares of the world choked them out. They are actually in Christ, some people believe, but are backslidden, as folks from earlier generations might describe them. Others say that if the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke them out, then they were never really saved in the first place. And they point to the terms that were used, the cares, meaning the anxieties of the world. They're deceived by, by, uh, by financial desires, and they have these desires, these cravings, these compulsions uh, that, that are, are turning them away from the Lord. And they point to the verbs used. They talk about entering in and choking out and becoming. And they correctly mention that all those are present tense verbs indicating continued action. So they say this person is not just in this season of life where they get sidetracked for a couple of months. This is not just a bad year of struggles or a temporary season of life. This is a lifestyle choice. Uh, The form of the present tense verb entering in and becomes indicate that the person is either doing this to himself or that his his cares and desires have, have overwhelmed him. He's making a lifestyle choice. He's adjusted his priorities so that the word of God has taken a backseat to the things of the world. Thus they say, this person is never truly born again. And so on that discussion goes. Is the thorny ground person truly saved? Are they truly not? Are they just backslidden? Or have they really rejected Christ? Well, just just by way of a few thoughts here. And listen, true believers do struggle. Everybody knows that. We stumble. We fall. We blow it. King David and the Apostle Peter are prime examples of that. But true believers always return to the Lord. Always. It's a doctrine we call the perseverance of the saints. 
It's not that nobody stumbles and falls. It's that they always come back to the Lord. In fact, you think of the Apostle Peter and King David again. The Apostle Peter's crash lasted for a few weeks. King David's crash lasted for about a year. But that did not define the rest of their lives. Great verse in Proverbs 24.16, King Solomon writes, A just man falls seven times, but he rises again. I love that verse. A just man, meaning a righteous man, he may fall seven times, but he rises again. If you are truly in Christ, it isn't that you never stumble, it's that you keep getting back up. And with, with the verb structures that Jesus used to describe the thorny ground, the double-minded heart, my personal conviction is that Jesus is describing a heart that has never truly been made new. Of course, then you have the good soil. It doesn't produce exactly the same thing, but it always produces something. There are what we may call 30-fold people in life. We talk about, he talks about the good soil produces some 30-fold, some 60-fold, and some 100 You know, there are 30-fold people in life. They know Jesus, they are truly in Christ, but they do not have the capacity for a variety of reasons to produce enormously for the Lord Jesus. But they do produce something. There are 60-fold followers of Jesus. There are 100-fold followers of Jesus. And I don't just mean the, the ability to get lots of things done. I mean the ability to be highly productive for the Lord. Because many followers of Jesus are very productive in their businesses, but they're not that productive in their life for the Lord Jesus for a variety of reasons. But a heart for God will always produce something. There will always be a desire to spread the gospel, to be a part somehow, some way, in the Great Commission, making disciples among all the ethnic groups of the world and all of the spin-off implications of that. And the, the difference between the productive soil and the unproductive soil is the heart issue, Jesus said, of hearing the word and accepting it and producing fruit. Remember we said last week, all those are present tense participles. You are in the process of hearing the word. You are in the process of accepting it, that is, receiving it and making it yours and owning what it says and applying it to your life. And you are in the process of bearing fruit Something in your life that pleases God. And that, of course, is what sets believers apart from unbelievers. Unbelievers cannot understand the things of God. They do not hear the word of God with believing, submissive ears, with the desire to obey. And those who are in Christ, they do. The greatest gift of grace given to us, of course, is salvation. But we would know nothing about salvation if it weren't for the Scriptures. So actually, the greatest grace gift to us is divine revelation. Nothing is more important than God's truth that He has revealed to us through His Word. You have to have the truth in order to be saved. You have to have the truth in order to grow in Christ. You have to have the you have to have the truth and uh, the truth of the Scripture in order to have the confidence of heaven and to be instructed in righteousness. So the greatest thing we have. For us today is the Word of God. This is God's revelation. This, is, this, is, uh, this mark of true followers of Jesus is that they listen to the Word of God. They hear it. They believe it. They love it. They obey it. They're not trusting some past experience or some ceremony or some ritual that they practice regularly or some prayer that they've prayed or memorized or attendance at a certain church. 
What marks out a true follower of the Lord Jesus is that they respond to God's truth. It finds a place in their heart. They get it. They understand it. They want it. They obey it. 1 Corinthians chapter 2 says, The natural man does not understand the things of the Spirit of God. They are foolishness to him. But on the other hand, we who know the Lord, we embrace divine truth. We understand it. We love it. We absorb it. We believe it. We proclaim it. We get it. Jesus in the 10th chapter of John, He speaks so beautifully of the relationship we have with Him as our shepherd. He says, My sheep hear My voice, and I know them, and they follow Me. He says, The sheep follow the shepherd because they know His voice. They don't follow a stranger because they don't know His voice. He says to His Jewish followers also, Other sheep I have who are not of this fold, that's us, we aren't Jewish, He says, other sheep I have who are not of this whole fold, and I must also bring them, and they are also going to hear my voice. He goes on to tell some of his listeners that the reason why they don't believe him is because they're not his sheep, because his sheep always hear his voice. So if we truly know the Lord Jesus as our Savior, we're going to be listening for the voice of the Lord through his word. We're going to be taking it to heart. We're going to be obeying it. We're going to be producing fruit. So what does that actually look like? And I I am convinced that that is what Jesus is describing to his disciples in these verses that we just read. He talks about the the, the seed of the word falling on good soil, and it produces some 30-fold, some 60, some 100. They're hearing the word, they're accepting it, they're they're bearing fruit. So, So what does that look like in practical terms in our life? Well, I don't always come up with four-point outlines, but I've got one for you this week. And I'm going to give you all four points at once, then I'm going to give them again individually as we expand on them, because this is the answer. If we are bearing fruit, this is what it will look like in our lives, these four things. I'll give them to you, then we'll look at each one. Witnessing faithfully. Managing responsibly. And we'll talk about what we're managing. Serving patiently and laboring confidently. We'll be witnessing faithfully, managing responsibly, serving patiently, and laboring confidently. First of all, witnessing faithfully. Jesus talks about a lamp. He says in verse 21, Is a lamp brought to be put under a basket or under a bed? Is it not to be set on a lampstand? The word lamp is referring to what we might call a little terracotta oil lamp. A little clay lamp commonly used. It could look something like a bowl with a, with a lid and a handle on it. It could look like a little pitcher with a handle on it. Uh, you put olive oil in it. You, put, you put, a, put a floating wick in it. You light the wick, and that's how you, you light your house. You would put that on a lampstand, obviously. Uh, that's, that, that, that's the way it would work. Either a lamp sitting on, on the floor or a lampstand. Uh, it, maybe it would be like on a shelf that would stick out from the wall where those lamps were placed. That was the way you'd light your house after dark. No electricity, obviously. And although candles, as we know them today, were in use in the ancient world, that the standard way of lighting your home in ancient Israel was the oil lamp with olive oil. Olive oil is very flammable, and with a floating wick, it burns a little flame, and you can, you can light your house. Now, nobody in their right mind is going to take a lamp and put it under a basket. 
You don't put a light under the bed. That's obviously ridiculous. The point is to light the house as much as possible. So you put the lamp in an open area up on the wall where it can give light to the room. The idea Jesus is putting forth is this. If you have the light, then the light is supposed to shine. The light is supposed to be seen. And so if we have been given the light, we need to let the light shine. You need to put it on a lampstand. The Jewish folks in Jesus' day were very familiar with the Old Testament. They would know the book of Psalms quite well. They would undoubtedly know that a lamp and a light is an Old Testament word picture for God's word. Some of you know the verse, maybe memorized it when you were young. Psalm 119, 105. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Solomon wrote in Proverbs chapter 6, verses 20 to 23. He said, My son, keep your father's command. Do not forsake the law of your mother. Bind them continually upon your heart. Tie them around your neck. When you roam, they will lead you. When you sleep, they will keep you. When you are awake, they will speak with you. For he says, For the commandment is a lamp, and the law is a light. You see, God has opened our eyes to see the truth. As the Apostle Paul calls it there in 2 Corinthians 4, the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ. God has opened our eyes to see it. So it is our responsibility to shine the light. People should know what we believe. They should know where we stand. Our lives should be a reflection of the truth. And it's not that we're going around preaching to everyone all week, but if we are bearing fruit... We will be faithful to speak for the Lord Jesus on a regular basis. We will be witnessing faithfully. Verse 22, very interesting verse. For there is nothing hidden which will not be revealed, nor has anything been kept secret, but that it should come to light. If anyone has ears, let him hear. Remember Jesus had said to his disciples that it had been given unto them to know the mysteries of the kingdom of God, but the unbelievers would only be given parables. But now Jesus says to his disciples, everything that I am currently hiding from unbelieving people is going to one day be revealed. And all that has been kept secret is going to come to light. Very interesting statement with lots of implications for us. Nothing is hidden forever. It's going to be revealed. Nor will anything be kept secret forever, Jesus says. It's going to eventually come to light. You know, people hide things because there's a certain time that they need to be revealed. If you have children or grandchildren around during the holidays, you're doing exactly that. If their birthday is coming, you may be doing that right now. You're hiding the gifts somewhere so that you can bring them out at the right time. At Christmas morning, the birthday dinner, or whatever. And depending on how sneaky the kids are or how observant the kids are, you probably get pretty creative about it because you don't want them to find the gift until the right time. And Jesus says, I've been hiding the truth from people for many months early in my ministry. Remember, he told the people he healed, don't say anything. He told the demons, be quiet, stop saying who I am, even though they knew exactly who he was. He told the disciples, I'm going to speak to them in parables because they, they are rejecting me. I don't want them to understand what I'm saying because they have rejected me. I'm just going to talk to them in parables. But he also says here to his disciples, there's coming a time when it's all going to come to light. There's going to be a time when things open up and the truth about Jesus is going to be revealed to everybody. 
We know from New Testament history that after Jesus' death and resurrection, after the coming of the power of the Holy Spirit, the truth about Jesus was going to be proclaimed from the housetops. The gospel message began to be spread around the world. It continues to spread to this day. Jesus says again, if you've got ears to hear, then, then, then hear it. He said, the day for the revelation of the truth about Jesus is coming, and the disciples were going to be the ones who were doing the revealing. You see, if we are hearing the word and accepting it and bearing fruit, we will be witnessing faithfully. If we have the seed, you throw it out there. If we have the light, we shine it. The light is to be shining, not hidden. The seed is to be sown, not stored. So we witness faithfully. Secondly, we manage responsibly. Now I know you're thinking, manage what? Well, we manage our opportunities. Jesus offers another interesting statement there at the beginning of verse 24. He says, take heed what you hear. It's an interesting expression in the Greek text. It's only three words, actually. And what it literally means in the Greek text, if we were just going to translate each word exactly as it means, it would, it would, it would read like this. Be seeing what you're hearing. Think about that for a second. Be seeing what you're hearing. Which is why we have there, take heed or watch out what you listen to. Be on guard what you're listening to, Jesus says, because it's going to influence the way that you manage your opportunities for the Lord Jesus. Jesus is still using agricultural word pictures. He says the way you sow the seed, the amount of the seed that you sow, it's going to determine what the return is. He said the measure that you, that you use, it will be measured to you. To, to you who hear, more will be given. You hear with the, with the idea of doing it. More will be given. Whoever has to him, more will be given. You're probably all aware of the Galatians 6 passage where the Apostle Paul writes, Whatever a man sows, that will he also reap. He says, If you sow to the flesh, you reap corruption. If you sow to the Spirit, you reap life with an everlasting quality. In its context, I believe that statement does not appear to me to be a salvation passage. It appears to me to be a Christian living passage. Whereas the Apostle Paul is saying there in Galatians 6, however you live your life for the Lord Jesus, it comes back to you. Your efforts for the Lord Jesus come back to bless you, and they not only come back to bless you, they bless you abundantly. It comes back more than you sowed. That's what Jesus is saying. Be careful what you're listening to because it's going to tell you how, it's going to, it's going to train you as to how you measure your responsibilities. And with the measure you use as you're sowing the seed, then he said, that's what you're going to get back. And if you sow more seed, if you're hearing the word of God and, and you're sowing the seed, more is going to come to you. And whoever has more, whoever has more seed coming to him, I'm going to give him more opportunities. Whoever uses their opportunities, I'll give him more opportunities. Whoever uses the blessings I give him, I'm going to give him more blessings. Your efforts for the Lord Jesus come back to bless you, and not only you, but, but it comes back more than you sowed. And that does not mean all the seed that you sow is going to produce true salvation in everyone. We know that from the parable we just studied. That's not the case. But it does mean that as you are faithful to sow the seed, God will be faithful to bless you in return. If you are one of those who has the seed, that is, if you have eternal life, you have the truth, you will receive 
not only in measure for what you've done, but far more. Jesus gave that very wonderful teaching in Luke chapter 6. He said, give and it shall be given unto you. Pressed down, shaken together, and running over. And Jesus said it's going to come both in this life, in spiritual blessing, and in future eternal blessings. The parallel passage to this parable in, in Matthew says he will, not, he will not just have more, he will have it in abundance. That as he who hears the word, hears with the idea of responding, the one who actually does something with what he hears, Jesus says he'll be given more. More of what? Well, more divine blessing. As you hear the truth, as you receive it, as you spread it out, you'll be given more understanding, more truth, more grace, more joy, more satisfaction, more fulfillment, more eternal reward because you can't possibly outgive God. As Jesus said again in John 10, I am come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. It's a beautiful promise. So what do we do? We take the seed of the word, we witness faithfully. We manage our opportunities and responsibilities. We, we, we manage that responsibly. And then thirdly, these next verses, we serve patiently. Look at verses 26 to 29. He said, The kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground and should sleep by night and rise by day and the seed should sprout and grow. He himself does not know how. For the earth yields crops by itself, first the blade, then the head, after that the full grain in the head. But when the grain ripens, immediately he puts in the sickle because the harvest has come. A very simple, obvious teaching, but quite fascinating. A farmer sows the seed, then he goes about the routines of farm life. He goes to bed. He gets up in the morning. He does his chores. He comes home. He has supper. He goes to bed. He does this over and over and over and over and over again. He checks the crop on a regular basis. Maybe comes in at supper one night. Hey, honey, the grain's sprouting. It's growing. It's getting taller. The heads are appearing. Pretty soon it's time to harvest. And Jesus says, as the person who sowed the seed might look and say, how does this happen? He doesn't really know. He knows it happens because he sees it. But he can't explain how it happens or why it works that way. He just knows that if he sows the seed, he will eventually get a harvest. So the sower of the seed is to serve patiently because he knows that somehow, some way, someday, there's going to be a harvest. He doesn't know how it's going to happen. He doesn't know what's going to take place. But he knows that sooner or later, there will be a harvest. We think about that quite often regarding our children's ministries. How many kids have come through the doors here and have come through and sat right here in these seats and they've heard the gospel message and they've sung, and they've sung, sung songs. And there's someone very, very interesting, someone posted on, on, on Facebook, somebody who's, I think they're about 31 now. They came to Summer Bible Club many, many times into Awana when they were young. And one of their kids was here this, this last week for, uh, for Bible Club. And she posted on Facebook, My kid came home singing all the songs that I sang when I was a kid. That's why we sing. There's only one, one way God said to get to heaven. Jesus is the only way. Every single day. I'm going to sing it so often that they can't forget it if they try. And apparently it worked for her. 20 years later. Oh, man, I remember that song. Wow, it's great. How is that seed going to grow? I don't know. 
What's going to happen to all that seed? I have no idea. That's what Jesus says here. The farmer, he, he puts the seed out. It starts to grow. He doesn't know how. He doesn't know how it's happening. He just knows that, that it's happening. And, and pretty soon, there's a harvest. So the sower of the seed, I know some of you, you've been witnessing to some of your friends and some of your family, some of your relatives for years. Just keep sowing the seed patiently. Keep, keep serving patiently. Somehow, someway, someday, there will be a harvest. Wonderful song, for it's an old, an old hymn. We haven't sung it in a long time, but it's, it's a great song. And uh, when I, I kind of grew up singing it. I know not why God's wondrous grace to me He has made known, nor why unworthy Christ in love redeemed me for His own. But I know whom I have believed and am persuaded He is able to keep that which I have committed unto Him against that day. I know not how this saving faith to me He did impart, nor how believing in His word wrought peace within my heart. I know not how the Spirit moves convicting us of sin, Revealing Jesus through His Word, creating faith in Him. I know not what of good or ill may be reserved for me, of weary days or golden days before His face I see. I know not when my Lord may come at night or noonday fair, nor if I'll walk the veil with Him or meet Him in the air. But I know whom I have believed and am persuaded He is able to keep that which I have committed unto Him against that day. The chorus taken straight out of 2 Timothy chapter 1. A lot of things we don't know. We don't know how the harvest is going to come. We don't know what's going to happen with the seed. We don't know what God's going to do with all, all of that harvest. But he says the farmer just goes out and sows the seed, goes about the routines of life, keeps waiting, keeps doing the normal routines of life. He goes to bed, he gets up, he sees the crop growing, he watches the heads, heads come. Sooner or later, there's a harvest somehow, some way. So we witness faithfully, we manage responsibly, we serve patiently. And then finally, fourth thing, the fruit-bearing seed sower, he will labor confidently. Not only will there be a harvest, but the grace of God will produce amazing blessings. And it won't just be spiritual blessings for those who believe, it will also result in earthly benefits for those societies where the gospel goes. Read this little short thing here. Verse 30. Then he said, To what shall we liken the kingdom of God? Or with what parable shall we picture it? It's like a mustard seed, which when it is sown on the ground, is smaller than all the seeds on earth. But when it is sown, it grows up and becomes greater than all herbs and shoots out large branches so that the birds of the air may nest under its shade. I'm sure the disciples were thinking, okay, Lord, I'm with you in all this. I know by God's grace, I've, I've got, we're good soil. We're hearing the word. We're responding to it. We're growing. We're, we're with you. We're going to witness faithfully. We're going to manage our opportunities responsibly. We're going to serve you patiently. But you know, Lord, hardly anybody is believing. Where's, where's, where's this thing going? It, look, it looks so small. It looks so, so fragile. I mean, there's just, there's, there's just a couple hundred of us hanging around here who are following you and, and all these thousands of people that come and hear you preaching and nothing happens. So, so Lord, where's, where, where's all this going? Jesus says, listen, guys, the kingdom of God is like a little mustard seed. 
It's not the smallest seed on the planet. It's it's the smallest seed that farmers plant. Is what he said. It's, it's, it's smaller than all these all your farming seeds on the earth. Yet he said it grows up and it becomes larger than all of the other garden plants and it forms large branches and the birds of the air nest in its shade. Now all of his all of his listeners they would understand that. He said. The kingdom of God is going to start out like a little mustard seed, and it's going to, going to turn into a gigantic mustard tree. Uh, there was nothing that they planted that started out that small and became that large. A mustard bush, as you might call it, can be up to 15 feet high and 6 feet in diameter. It's just a massive thing to come out of a little tiny seed, uh, something about the size of a grain of sand. And here's what I think our Lord is saying to him, quite obvious to us. There's, in fact, He doesn't give them even an explanation. But He says to them, These small beginnings, fellows, do not even begin to give you any indication of where all this is going. This is going to be massive. This is going to be way out of proportion compared to the size of its beginning. You see, this is a prophecy of the growth of the Gospel and the Church of Jesus Christ. Notice the reference to the birds nesting in its shade. The word picture right out of Ezekiel chapter 17. It is a messianic prophecy, a prophecy of the coming Messiah, that says that under the rule of the Messiah, nations are going to come to salvation. And the nations in Ezekiel 17 are pictured as birds coming to lodge in the tree of blessing. So the birds in that particular story represent all of the nations. Jesus says his ministry is going to expand. Not only will Israel be part of this coming kingdom, but the nations of the world are going to be part of it as well. You have a very similar use of that same word picture in the book of Daniel in chapter 4. Nebuchadnezzar is viewing his kingdom. He has this vision of his kingdom. And he talks about the birds that are in his tree. That is, all the people and nations that were under his rule. It's really quite a prophecy Jesus gives here. He's telling this little handful of disciples that all of the nations of the world are going to be brought into this gospel message. And of course, if we go to, to Revelation chapter 7, uh, the Bible verse for, for our Bible club this week, we see that gathered around the throne of God in heaven are people from every tongue, every tribe, every nation, every people. It's really quite, quite stunning when you think that Jesus and a little handful of disciples started all this 2,000 years ago. And it's not just spiritual blessings for those who believe. It also results in earthly benefits for all those societies where the gospel grows. As this huge seed or this huge kingdom of God, he says, becomes like this gigantic mustard bush and all the birds flock into it. It's it's also going to result in these earthly benefits, I say, for the societies where the gospel goes. You know, sociologists say, that the continent of Africa was lifted out of total darkness. In fact, back in the 1800s, they called it the, the dark continent. They say it was lifted out of total darkness because the literacy rate skyrocketed in the late 1800s and the early 1900s. You know why the literacy rate skyrocketed? Because Bible-believing missionaries carried the gospel to Africa reduced their languages to writing, then translated the Bible into those languages and taught them to read so they could read their Bible. Interesting. Even the unbelieving birds are nesting in the branches of the gospel tree. 
Did you know that Sebastian Kresge over a hundred years ago was a Bible-believing follower of Jesus Christ and he faithfully attended the North Methodist Church in Detroit? And you might say, no, because I have no idea who you're talking about. Some of you old-timers might remember Kresge department stores, which in the 1960s became what everybody knows as Kmart. Sebastian Kresge, who started that whole organization, Bible-believing follower of Jesus. James Cash Penny, that we know as J.C. Penny, became a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. God blessed his business abundantly during his lifetime. Henry Hines of Hines Ketchup and all the other Hines conglomerate today in 1869 began selling vegetables to local stores and his company became the food giant it is today. He once said, Henry Hines once said, make all you can honestly, save all you can carefully, give all you can wisely. Mr. Hines was a faithful follower of Jesus and a member of Grace Methodist Church in Sharpsburg, Pennsylvania 120 years ago. Robert Kraft began selling cheese in 1903. His company became Kraft Foods. He was a faithful member of North Shore Baptist Church in Chicago. He once said, the only investment I ever made that has paid consistently increasing dividends is the money I have given to the Lord. All of these men and many more gave tens of millions of dollars to the Lord's work during their lifetimes as God blessed their businesses. Of course, those businesses have taken very drastic different turns today after, after these men were gone. But you see where the roots of those companies were was in God-fearing, Bible-believing men whose businesses exploded in the United States. Yes, see, even, even the unbelieving birds are nesting in the branches of the gospel tree and have received earthly benefits from the blessing of God on His people. So labor confidently. God blesses the seed of the Word in incredible ways. And if we are bearing fruit, this is what it will look like in our lives. We will be witnessing faithfully. We will be managing responsibly. We will be serving patiently. We will be laboring confidently. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. It is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes. And there are even earthly blessings that fall on unbelievers through the influence of the gospel. So sow the seed faithfully responsibly and patiently and confidently because God's word never comes back empty-handed. Let's pray. Father, thank you for these great promises in this dark, sin-cursed world. It is very, very easy for we who are following you to become discouraged. We wonder where all the seed sowing is going to go, how it's all going to wind up, where the kingdom is going to head. Is, are, are the people we're witnessing to ever going to believe? Are the things we're doing for Christ ever going to amount to anything? Lord, we all struggle with those thoughts. Lord, help us to be encouraged with this today. Your word never comes back empty-handed. And as we serve patiently, we can labor with confidence. We know 
Lord, that you are going to bring about your will and you are going to use all of us in our seed-sowing endeavors to bring glory to God in the ages to come. So Lord, help us to be faithful and serve patiently and labor with confidence. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Grab your hymn book, please, and look again at 505. Lord, I need you.